Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day that we have, even though we're, we're separated from each other and, and, and having to do worship at home, we thank you for this day that we have to remember when your son was heralded as he should be. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. And we echo that call. We ask you to save us, to redeem us, to keep the ongoing work of drawing us closer to you going, to show us the end of what it is we're facing right now, to help us walk with you through it. And Lord, now this morning as we turn our attention to your word, we sit under its authority And we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us a really good view of your Son. Help us to see him clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a progression that I've noticed that happens in nearly every superhero movie. Um, you see, first of all, it starts, and the hero is just unlikely. It's an unlikely character. They, they're, maybe they look too weak. Uh, Maybe they're too self-absorbed to have a heart or a concern for other people. Maybe they just have so much brokenness they have no desire to help anyone because they've been hurt by so many people. Or maybe they're just too consumed with going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. And then they do something that's a bit supernatural. It's, it's unexpected. It, it creates awe and disbelief for those around them. It, and, it, and it shows that they may be able to help in some way that nobody expected. And it leaves the people around them wondering, who, who are you? And what do we call you? And, and in a lot of cheesy moments, that's when they, they say, well, I'm, and they, they break out the the comic book name they were given back in the 60s that's really cheesy and maybe even hasn't aged that well. And then later in the movie, there's a bunch of characters. Uh, sometimes it's people really close to them. Sometimes it's, it's like the culture and the, the town that they're protecting. And those people are speculating over who they are. And they might even ask those close to them, well, what's being said about me and who do you say that I am? And then finally, at the end of the movie comes the climax when someone is in real need of this person's abilities, and even if that person doubted them, they are saved by the work that the hero is able to do. And, and out of confidence, out of desperation, in their moment of peril before they're saved, they cry out for help. Now, I'm not going to try to force the Gospels into a superhero mold. Uh, if anything at all, I'm noticing marks of good storytelling that are present in both. And I, I believe that as the Gospels were inspired, uh, the Holy Spirit, who knows a lot about telling a good story and getting across a point and using narrative to not only communicate truth, but, but, but captivate us, the Holy Spirit did a really good job with that. But there are some similarities as we look at the, the life of Jesus as it unfolds in the Gospels. He was born in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and he wasn't uh, that particularly uh, 
attractive of a guy, I don't think. Isaiah says um, that he was like a, a root out of dry ground. You know, we have all these Jesus movies that come out every year at this time, and, and the Jesus character always happens to be the most attractive guy on the cast, like just really well-groomed, like phenomenal jawline, a beard that makes everyone jealous, uh, and, and just perfect hair. I'm, I'm waiting for the, the Jesus movie that has kind of an ugly guy, at least average, um, and, and that would be more biblical already. And then, and then his hometown uh, that he, he spent most of his life in was Nazareth, and we remember when he was re, you know, calling his disciples, and one of them said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, these were words spoken by his actual disciples. And then he began his teaching ministry. And he began his public ministry. And he was doing a lot of things that got a lot of notice. I mean, when he'd teach, people would marvel that he was teaching with authority, unlike the Pharisees. But they, and, and they saw him do miracles. And they, they saw him do really powerful miracles. And, and with greater frequency than had been recorded before him. I mean, yeah, a lot of prophets in Israel's past, had had, had pr- powerful preaching ministries, had performed powerful miracles, but not to this frequency that we see in the Gospels. Then one day, he did something new. He did something so incredible that even after they, all they had seen before that, people being healed, demons being cast out, really powerful teaching coming out. Even after all, everything they had seen before that, when he did this new thing, there was a bit of shock. And they had to ask a question. They had to ask, who is this man? This morning, what we're doing is we are looking at, and this morning and and really for the next couple weeks, we're going to be asking, who is this man about Jesus? And we're this morning going to walk up to Palm Sunday with these questions of the Gospels, really two times where the identity of Jesus is questioned in different ways. And the first time is here in Luke 8. You can either have your Bibles out or it'll be on the YouVersion app. Luke 8, starting in verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And they sail, as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? And so Jesus did this thing that had never been seen before, that had never been done. They're out on a lake, and everything goes calm in the middle of a windstorm. And it didn't just happen randomly but it happened at his word. And so the disciples, they ask each other, who is this guy that even the wind and the water obey him? 
Well, the answer is really pretty simple. He's the Lord of creation. When I was young, uh, back when my back didn't hurt yet, I, I worked at a camp as a wrangler, uh, working with the horses, teaching campers how to ride horses. It's probably one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. And uh, in the herd of horses we had at camp, there were uh, three Mustangs, wild Mustangs that had been bought by the camp. The head wrangler, who was my boss, uh, I was the assistant to the head wrangler. Not really, I was just under him. Uh, the head wrangler, who was my boss, he had, he had trained these three Mustangs. He had broke them, he had trained them, got them safe for campers to be able to be on. And so we would put campers on these Mustangs, and they did pretty well. Um, and one day we learned that while a camper was going around the arena uh, trying to do an exercise, trying to do a discipline we had taught them, that the head wrangler, uh, his name was Clark, Clark who had trained the horses could not talk while campers were on them uh, because the horse would stop when it got close to him as he was talking because the horse knew his voice. The wind and the waves stopped when Jesus said to stop because they knew his voice. They had heard his voice before. This, his was the voice that brought them forth from the beginning. His was the voice that said, let land come up and separate the waters. His was the voice that caused them to begin. And so the wind and the water proved Colossians 1 right before it was even penned, that, penned, that Jesus is the creator, that all things were made through him and for him, and by him all things hold together. Creation taught the disciples that day that Jesus is Lord, even of the wind and the waves. It wasn't a special power that Jesus had that allowed him to tell the wind to stop, and it did. It was a, it's a special office that Jesus holds. He is not only king of us as our Savior, he is Lord of all creation. Lord of hosts is he. So when he says, winds stop and waves be calm, they do it because they know his voice. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, it needed the power of him who brought the flood on the earth in the days of Noah and later took it away. He who divided the Red Sea and the River Jordan into two and made a path for his people through the waters. He who brought locusts on Egypt by an east wind and with a west wind swept them away. No power short of this could in a moment turn a storm into calm. And he goes on to say, it is, encourage, it is an encouraging thought that all this almighty power of our Lord Jesus Christ is uh, engaged on our behalf, or on behalf of his people, of his believing people. The winds and waves of political and ecclesiastical trouble may beat fiercely over them, and all hope may seem to be lost, but Christians should not despair. There is one living for us in heaven, who can make these winds and waves stop in a moment. The true church of which Christ is the head shall never perish. So we see, who is this man? He's the Lord of creation. 
And that last line of Ryle, the true church of which Christ is the head shall never perish. This brings us to the next thing the disciples learn when they ask, who is he? They learn that he is a, he is a Lord of creation who cares for them. They were not crying out. They weren't waking up Jesus saying, Jesus, could you deal with a problem that we don't want to? They weren't pestering him. They were in full-blown panic. Some of these men were experienced fishermen. They had been in rough water before. They're in full-blown panic. They're taking on water. Lord, we are perishing. And he stopped. He stopped the wind and the waves because he cared for them. Jesus was responding to their fear. Uh, Two and a half years ago, I had a group of guys up in the Boundary Waters, and there was one day while we were in the Boundary Waters that was especially windy, and most of the group had common sense and stayed in camp, or really close to camp. And we were on a pretty good-sized lake, uh, so while most of the group stayed in camp or close to camp, Thomas Berkeley and I decided to go fishing on the far side of the lake, where the wind was, uh, there was more shelter from the wind. And the wind picked up dramatically after we got back in the sheltered area. And we got to a point where we had to cross the lake in our canoe. Uh, We were going to be parallel to the waves, which that's how you flip over. Uh, It was September, the water was uh, a bit chilly. So we tied everything down in the canoe. We got our life jackets on extra tight. We had a plan for when we flipped over because we were pretty sure we were going to flip over. Uh, We were both very nervous, and we just prayed. And we prayed very simply, God, we need your help. Uh, We had to canoe uh, over a half a mile to get to our campsite through through these conditions, about two-foot waves, white caps rolling. Lord, we know you've calmed the water before. Would you please do it again for us? And there were some guys at a campsite we were launching from who helped us get launched off. And we paddled uh, about 30, 40 feet, and the wind just stopped. And in the course of the next 30 seconds, the waves were pretty well subsided. And we were marveling at this together. We got across to our campsite, and in the next 10 minutes, the wind and the waves were back up. We serve the same Savior who did this. And He's the same today as He was the day He was in that boat with the disciples. Now sure, He doesn't always calm the storm we think He should calm in the way we think He should do it. But He does always care for us. And He does always have a plan for what we're going through. And we are facing a lot of things that we're afraid of right now. Just this week, the CDC released some numbers that are, that are pretty scary for what this virus might do to our country. And there's a lot to be afraid of in that. There's a lot of uncertainty. I, I know some of us have, some of you have lost jobs related to this and have limited income right now, much more than you're used to. And it's, it's hard that this virus has created a whole new class of poverty in our city and in our country. And we have fear now. And we, as we cry out to our Savior to help us with our fear, it's the same Savior that's Lord of all creation. And so we cry out for, to Him that this virus would be much more short-lived than it it's projected to be. We cry out to Him that His sustaining grace would carry us through that. 
and that He would shape us during this time and, and build us more and more into His likeness. So the disciples are wondering who's Jesus. Jesus then has a question for them. He says, where is your faith? This question is both a rebuke and a call. And and it's a rebuke because he says, look at who I am. Look at what I've done for you leading up to this time. Look at all the miracles that have happened. Did you not think I could handle this storm? Do you not remember everything I've taught you about who I am already? And so he says, where's your faith? Why were you panicking to begin with? So there's a little bit of a rebuke here. And there's also a call. And he says, where's your faith? Recognize who I am. You don't need to panic. You don't need to hit the freak out button. I am the creator. I am the Lord and Savior. When, When you are in fear, treat me as the sovereign creator that I am. Treat me as the son of God, not just another guy in the boat because I'm not just another guy in the boat. And so Jesus is telling them, recognize who I am as Lord of all, as as creator, as very nature God, who has come to serve you and live with you. I am fully God and am fully man. That's what he's encouraging them. Well, as Jesus' ministry was going on, his reputation spread. And we know that there were times where he had as many as 6,000 people following him all around. And Jesus knew what was in man's heart, so he didn't give himself into their uh, applaud and accolades. But he did one night, he asked a question to the disciples. And this is question number two that we're looking at. And the question number two comes from Luke 9, starting in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was Praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others said Elijah, and others said one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. So Jesus asked this question. The first question the disciples had was, who is Jesus? And who is Jesus is he's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of all creation. And now Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And so the crowds answer first is John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets of old that's, made, that, that, that's risen again. And these people who, have, there, there were all these people who observed Jesus and heard about his reputation, and they saw him regularly, but they did not know Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They they enjoyed watching the amazing work he was doing, the miracles. They they enjoyed the teaching. But as they were trying to explain this, and they were trying to explain all these things that are happening at this astonishing level, here's what they thought. You know that guy... They used to wear locust skins and eat honey and baptize people. And then, and then he got arrested by Herod and he got beheaded. I bet this is him. For them, it made more sense that a beheaded guy who used to wear locust skins is walking around with a fully attached head, no like Frankenstein marks around the neck, and, and not wearing locust skin because we have no indication that Jesus dressed like that. In fact, we have indication that Jesus acted very differently than John the Baptist. 
They're saying, I, I bet that's him. I bet his head got stitched on and he's back better than ever. John the Baptist 2.0 is way better than John the Baptist 1.0. And other people said, no, it's Elijah. And that's, that's a little easier because Elijah was taken up. And our guys are like, you know, there's all these guys. I read my Bible and there's all these guys. They were alive like five, 700 years ago. It's totally one of them. And here's the thing. There's a really big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a really big difference between knowing that Jesus is a good teacher, knowing that he was a good person, and knowing that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of God's promises all through the, the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3. And the crowds, they knew about Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. So he asked the disciples, because the disciples knew Jesus. He said, disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God, not one of the prophets. Isaiah had a powerful ministry, an important ministry. Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Micah, Malachi, all of them had important ministries. None of them were the Messiah. None of them were the one that God spoke of when he told the David, you'll have an offspring on the throne forever. None of them were the one that God spoke of when he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the anointed king. He is the one who's sent by God to deliver his people from their greatest enemy, which is sin and death. That Jesus is our deliverer and our redemption from those. In uh, Matthew's account of this conversation, he points out, Jesus points out to, to Peter that this truth, that Jesus is the Christ of God, was revealed to him by God. And we need God's help to understand Jesus. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. And he also said, on this truth, on this rock, the church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the Messiah. And that is a truth that, that, that will break down every stronghold. The disciples knew Jesus. They didn't just know about him. They knew him. And our world has too many people who know about Jesus or think they know about Jesus. And they make up their own version of Jesus. We are called to know who Jesus is. And there's a temptation we all face to repackage Jesus into something we can rationalize, into a concept that makes sense to us. And we need to recognize right now that not, not only his transcendence as Lord, as the one who's able to stop the wind and the waves, but also the humble man who rides on a donkey into the city, hearing the praise of his people, knowing that in the next week he's going to be crucified for their sins. Jesus is the Lord of creation. And he's also the long-promised Savior. He was their only hope. And here Jesus is, and he's asking the perspective of the disciples, and they tell him he's the Christ of God. And they may not, they, I don't think they realized it at the time, but what they were really saying was, Jesus, you're the man who's going to die for our sins. And so for, we're, we're going to come up to Palm Sunday here. And we're going to talk about a faith-filled response. 
as we face all the fear that we have right now, and we hear that question from Jesus, where is your faith? I want to repackage that and say, what, what, would a, what is a faith-filled response for us? Where, where is our faith found? How is our faith being enacted? Is it in ourselves and, and what our efforts are able to accomplish, or is it in the Son of God? Is our faith in a God who, if you do or say the right things, will never give you up to poverty or bad health, like what the prosperity gospel peddles? Or is your faith in a God who, no matter the circumstances, is still sovereign and whose power and sustaining grace can get you through those tough times? That's the God I believe in. You know, we get to um, Palm Sunday, and if you, if, you, if you have your Bible out, uh, turn with me to Matthew 21. And this is, Palm Sunday is one of the loudest declarations of who Christ actually was during his earthly ministry. I mean, there's other times they tried to make him king. They tried to, they tried to thrust him into power. But this is a declaration of who Christ is. The disciples went out, I'm going to pick up in verse 6. Uh, they, they, they went out as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees, spread them on the road, and the crowds went before him uh, and that followed him and were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. But earlier in the proclamation, they also declared him son of David. They're, they're wrapping everything up into this. And they're crying out, Hosanna. They're, they're treating Jesus as king. And this whole time, and this and Palm Sunday being in the backdrop of our worship service today, I want us to look at this as an example for a faith-filled response. And the first thing we do is we treat him as king. They, they were laying, they rolled out the red carpet for him. They did it in forms of their cloaks and the branches, but they're rolling out the red carpet. Oh man, this guy's great. His donkey is, is, is just because he's on it, it's too special to walk on dirt. So we're going to roll out our clothes. We're going to roll out these branches. We're going to give him the royal treatment. They recognize the lordship of Jesus and and. How can we recognize the Lordship of Jesus? I mean, we're, I, I don't think the, uh, the thing to do for the application is to cut off branches from your trees and throw them out in your street and cry Hosanna in the highest. Um, I mean, if you do have someone video from a distance, I just want to see what happens when the police show up. But that's definitely not our ampl application is to, to do those things. But we do declare the Lordship of Jesus in how we talk about Him to each other, to our children, to our neighbors. We, just, we, we declare the, 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 the royalty and kingship and Lordship of Jesus in how we talk to Him. Are we coming to Him with complaints? Are we ignoring Him? 
Are we coming to him with respect and honor? And it, we, we declare his lordship and recognize it and how we worship him and how we treat his word. Are we, are we going to really submit ourselves to this and say, Jesus, you're my holy king. I know this is the God-inspired word, and so I sit under it. And when the Pharisees tried to silence the crowds, we, we learned from the other gospels that Jesus said, look, if they don't cry out, the rocks will. My glory will be declared. I am Lord. If the people don't do it, my other creation will. And then there's a call to Jesus as Savior. This is the call of Hosanna. Save us. Help us. Deliver us. This is the plea of Hosanna. Son of David, deliver me. Save me. And in this moment, I mean, this, these are the same crowds that were crying crucify. But in this moment, they're declaring him a savior. We should look on, they're looking only to him to save them, and we need to do the same, to depend on Jesus, to pray to him, to praise him while we do, that even while we're in need of deliverance, before we feel the full power of deliverance, to call out to him, to praise him, to ask for his help. So who is this man? When I look at these passages, when I look at all of Scripture, I think a faith-filled response. I'm sure that a faith-filled response is to recognize we don't serve a distant God who doesn't listen to us. We serve the mighty Creator who loves us, who hears us, who cares about us, who answers our cries, and whatever trouble or fear you're feeling right now, maybe it's not even related to COVID-19. Maybe it's something with your, your family. Uh, maybe it's something with your job or your future or, or something else completely. As you have that fear, as we have that fear, let us cry out to our Savior, who's not just another guy in the boat, but who is the Lord of creation who cares for us, who loves you very much and who hears your prayers. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for you are holy. You alone are good. You alone are able to do something about whatever it is that we're facing. And so God, we ask you for help. We ask you for your mercies that are new every morning. We ask you to forgive us our sins. And we thank you that you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.